Um, I read this this morning. Maybe you read it as well today in the devotional Abide um, with us. Worship is nothing more or less than love on its knees before the beloved. Just as mission is love on its feet to serve the beloved. Those are words from N.T. Wright. Well, you know, when you start talking about mission being love on its feet, you need to go to the, the website for Route One Ministry, and their actual website, website URL, correct me if I'm wrong, is loved by Route One. Because what that ministry does is bring love to places that probably none of us are going to go to in many days. Um, Bonnie Gatchel, Reverend Bonnie Gatchel, is the executive director of Route One Ministry. Um, since 2010, this kind of happened by accident. There were three women who got together and wanted to figure out what does it mean. Their question was, what can we do locally to fight for justice? And it was that Christmas Eve that they brought their first baskets of gifts to clubs for women who were being trafficked and used in the sex trafficking industry. And since 2010, they have been walking into those dark places to bring the light and the love of Jesus. I don't know how many times we've had Bonnie speak with us, but Bonnie and I became acquainted through my daughter, Mary Kate, who is an acquaintance and friend of Bonnie's. And, and then one thing led to another, and just this burden for this space in our culture that so many just kind of ignore, and yet we need not ignore that. But today, it is so good to have Bonnie with us. Now, when we're done here, as you heard and mentioned, we already have some tables set up in the foyer, and Bonnie's going to lead us in tagging the many little gifts you brought, brought to us the last several weeks. We have a ton of them, and we're going to just tag them. We're going to write a note. These are going to be delivered to the women that they minister to. So if you'd like to stick around, even if you didn't bring one of those gifts, but you want to stick around just for a few moments, and let's just get some notes to these women. We're going to tag those gifts. It's going to happen right after the service, and we're going to invite you to be part of that. But before we get there, we want to hear from our friend and our ministry partner, Bonnie Gatchel. So Bonnie, why don't you come and let's welcome her to Community Chapel this morning. Thank you very much. Yeah, it is good to be here and uh, to have been here before. So I am going to tell you a little bit about our work, and Jeff has done a wonderful job, I mean, really a nice job of explaining our background and how we got started. Um, and so I'm just going to share a little bit more details, but I'm also going to dig into Romans 4, 13 through 25, so if you want to get ready for that by turning there now, um, that's Romans 4, 13 through 25. God, I thank you for this opportunity to be here. I, um, it has been a very busy season, and some of us are weary and tired. Some of us are worried about family members and finances. Um, some of us have suffered loss very recently. And some of us are ready to praise you because of new breakthroughs in our careers and job placements and with our um, sons and daughters. Wherever we are, Lord Jesus, today, 
May you hold our distractions. May we be present with you um, to receive your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, yeah, so my name is Bonnie, and in 2010, as Pastor Jeff already highlighted, I had a conversation with friends. I had graduated from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary with my Master's of Divinity and was looking for the what's next. I originally wanted a more traditional pulpit with, or pastorate with a pulpit and congregants and we meet on Sunday morning and all those things. And I, I did have a job at a Baptist church as a youth pastor um, in the year between my MDiv and what was going to be next. But in that time, I also realized that I, I just felt this stirring, that there was a place for me that God was calling me not to be within the church, not to work, not to use my pastorate within the church. Um, and so I began to dig around at what that could mean and what that looks like and where he was taking me. And as Pastor Jeff highlighted, I had a conversation with friends. And a friend of mine asked the question, how do we reach women who are sexually exploited and trafficked here in the United States? And in particular, she also meant um, in the North Shore, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, she was a teacher at Portsmouth Christian Academy. And so the answer that was given by the other person at the table was to make baskets and take them to strippers working on Christmas Eve. And so that's what we did. The next day I called up a strip club that was near my church at the time in Peabody, Mass. Asked the manager if we could bring in baskets on Christmas Eve. He said he thought it sounded weird, <laughs> but harmless. So as a church, we gathered about 13 items. I made the list based on what would I want to receive. Um, and we brought them into the strip club on Christmas Eve. And the women that we met had tears in their eyes and they wanted hugs. And they said this is the only gift they would receive that year. And so for me and the people that went into that club in Peabody, Mass., I knew that there was an entire people group not being reached with the gospel. Because the stories that we are told by movies like Strip Tease or Pretty Woman, which now has been made into a musical, um, <laughs> is that the women want to be there. The stories that we're told is that they are there freely, that they're just college kids trying to work their way through school or a single mom trying to feed her children. But when you are greeted with someone who breaks into tears because your kindness is so painful to them, because it's so unusual to their life experience, you know they are not there by choice. There is something else going on in their life. And if we start with the premise that no little girl wants to be a stripper when she grows up, then we ask the question, what has happened in this adult woman's life to bring her to working in the strip club? And there are handfuls of statistics that I will share with you, uh, not all of them, because there are a lot, um, that 90% of women who work in the sex industry here in the United States, 
are, uh, have been sexually abused before they turn 18. And I just want to reiterate, everything I'm sharing with you this morning is about American women trafficked on American soil. I'm not talking about foreigners. We hardly ever see foreigners in the clubs. 80% of who we see in the strip clubs are white girls from white communities. Then I would say another 10% are African-American or Latino. Um, and then some are Asian and some are foreign. But by and large, 90% of who we serve are American women. Now, the reason that white women are in the strip clubs, first, which probably surprises a lot of people in the room because you picture people of color and it's easy to picture the other. But the reason that white women are in the strip clubs is because even in the world of sex industry, in the world of sex trade, trafficking, there is racism. White women are in the strip clubs because it's safer than being on the street. Black women are on the street, right? Women of color die at the hands of their pimps 30% higher than white women, right? Because even within the world of sex industry, which blew my mind when I started learning this, right? Because I thought of oppression as oppression as oppression. But oppression that stems from systemic racism, systemic poverty, right, is different than what's experienced in the strip clubs. So that's just kind of a side note that came to mind. 70% of the women who work in the strip clubs are girls who have aged out of the foster care system. And I don't have kids. That's not my shtick. I've never really desired to have children. I might want to adopt someday, and I would adopt from the foster care system. And I say that as background to say this next thing, because I might get myself in trouble. Before you invest hundreds and thousands of dollars into IVF, consider adopting from the foster care system. Consider taking a foster child into your home, even what they now have called as a respite to give the foster parents a break, right? There are 70% of women who work in the strip club are girls who have aged out of the foster care system and did not have a high school diploma, did not have community. So while we, and I think as Americans, we are obsessed with baby making and baby making on our time watch, right? So while we're investing hundreds and thousands of dollars into IVF, there are foster kids who need love. Now there's special training that needs to go with that. You need to pray in and ask God, is this a call that you've put on my life? But it is one way that as Christians, we can combat trafficking by adopting from the foster care system, right? By housing a community event once a month that purposely invites kids from the foster care system. Right? Those are ways. Um, 12 years old. This is why I told Jeff 12-year-olds should be in the room. In the United States of America, American girls are trafficked as early as 12 years old. 12 years old. When I share that statistic, when I'm working with a survivor, a survivor of trafficking, prostitution, the strip clubs, they are grateful that I know that. And some of them would even say it's younger, right? So that's an average, and we know how average works, right? There's an average, and then there's people who are younger than 12 being trafficked, and there's people older than 12 being trafficked. 12 years old. And they're trafficked, usually their original pimp, 
are their original pimp is their mom, their dad, or their stepdad. And as you ask the question, how in the world can a mom pimp out her daughter? Because mom was pimped out at 12 years old. And nobody has interrupted that cycle of oppression with justice. And a lot of what's happening in the women's lives as they are exploited into the strip clubs is simply a withholding of kindness, a withholding of love, a lack of community, and in its place, abuse. 90% have been sexually abused before they turn 18. It's probably not a one-off. 55% of abuse happens in the private home. It means it's dad, stepdad, who's sexually abusing them. I know a case from New Hampshire, a friend of mine who does this work, um, got into this work. She grew up, lived in a very wealthy, white, affluent cul-de-sac community. One day was doing dishes, opened her curtains at her sink, just like she would every day to do her dishes, and saw the SWAT team pull up at her neighbor's house. Her white, affluent neighbor had been sexually abusing his stepdaughter and then got bored and took her to the playground and would sell her for $50 to watch her be abused. That's here. That's New Hampshire. That's not China. That's not Russia. That's not Dorchester. It does happen in Dorchester, but that's here. And why that's important to me for you to know and understand is so that you can grieve with those who grieve, as Romans calls us to do. You can intercede for the women right here in your community who are being exploited by people from your community. The biggest buyers of sex are white men, 35 years of age, married with two kids. Also law enforcement, lawmakers, and male social workers. People who have the resources and the power to do something instead are taking advantage of the situation. <clears throat> the number one reason that women leave the sex trade is through one trusting relationship encouraging them to leave, which is what the hope of Route One is. When we step into the strip clubs, so we started 13 years ago as that one-off Christmas Eve. If I would have known Christmas Eve would have launched a nonprofit that I'd be responsible for, <laughs> I don't know if I would have showed up. Um, so thank God for his wisdom. And that from that one moment, I began to investigate who are the women who work in the clubs and how can we build relationships with them? And I found someone in Kentucky who did hot homemade meals. So I called her up, we talked on the phone, and then I drove to Kentucky to shadow her into the strip club. Um, and I met my first stripper and she was 62 years old and still working in the strip club. And she had C-section scars and crow's feet. And so again, the Holy Spirit used meeting her, her name is Mary, as an opportunity to prick my heart. And in that dressing room, I felt and knew that this is what God had called me to do. 
right? This was it. This was the next. And that was 13 years ago. So we started in that one strip club in Peabody, and now we're in Boston, Revere, Worcester, and Springfield. We serve about 70 women a week. Um, and one story, and then the other part of what we do is this, educating the church. The more that you are aware, the more that you can properly aid those who are suffering, right, from being exploited. Uh, one moment in the strip club was we were in the dressing room, and a woman had oozed herself down the wall of the dressing room and was sitting on the floor in buckets of tears, just buckets and just a very heartbreaking scene as she still had on her little bikini from the floor and one breast was out in full disgrace and one was covered and just a mess. And she repeated to herself, who loses custody of their kids? What kind of mom loses custody of her kids? And we were there. The Route One teams were there and sat on that dirty strip club floor with her. We didn't posture ourselves on a stool. We didn't bother to get a towel to sit on. We just sat down and sat with her and sobbed with her, and we didn't try to fix the situation. As the weeks followed, we would walk beside her and connect her to lawyers and social workers and try to work with her to get custody. What would it look like to get custody of her kids back? But in the moment, we just had to be there. If the Route One outreach teams are not going into strip clubs, women like her do not have an opportunity for community to be loved on, to be seen as a fellow image bearer. That's a little bit of what we do. We've heard women in the strip clubs, they've told us about miscarriages, being homeless, Women work in the strip clubs eight months pregnant, really pregnant, still stripping, and men still buying. That's also important to me. Men are the ones buying. There are some women who buy, but men buy, right? The women aren't selling themselves to one another. It's men who buy. Um, and so for us to show up and build relationship with the women in the clubs, and that's what is important this morning with all of you being willing to hear what I have to say, and I appreciate it. And if you're on Facebook, hopefully you didn't click off, um, being able to hear and receive what I have to say. And also, if you could stay after to put those gifts together, each one of those gifts are going to go to the teams in Worcester and Springfield and Boston. They're going to go to those 70 women who might be experiencing the loss of children, the loss of their own independence, um, whatever it might be. And we're gonna hand those to them. So you helping us after the service today to put those together is gonna help direct, like it'll go directly into the hands of a woman who's been violated and sexually abused and is experiencing grief in her life. So if you have a spare 30 minutes or so that this is an opportunity to intercede and to bring justice to an otherwise oppressed situation. Uh, I will read the text. Romans 4, uh, this text did speak to me and to 
James, who said, oh, it's a little, I forget how you said it, but odd to be stirred by your own words. I don't know if Pastor Jeff or Pastor Mary feel this way, but I always feel when I write a sermon that it's my deepest spiritual discipline, that God usually works something in me, convicts me, brings me closer to him through the words that he's prepared um, for me to then share with others. Romans 4. For, I'm getting older, (laughs) the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And if it is inheritance of the law, who who inheritance of the law, who are the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the inherent of the law, but also to who share the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God and in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. And he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead since he was nearly 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness, which in the Greek is dead, um, of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up from the trespasses and raised for our justification. Thanks be to God. The phrase counted to him is righteousness. That phrase has always weighed on me uh, because I know who it is that's doing the counting. God the creator, God who calls you by name, God who gave Abraham a new name at 99 years old, God who knits us together in our mother's womb is the one who counted it as righteousness. It also weighs on me because I have read and studied the one who is being counted. Abraham is the father of many nations. Abraham is the father of our our faith, the genealogy for which Christ will come. But Abraham is also a sinner. Abraham is also a man who tries to bring about the promises of God by sleeping with his maidservant, right? Right? which would not have been approved by God. And yet, still the heir, the genealogy from which Christ will come. There are several things that struck me about this text. And with the time that's allowed, I'm only going to highlight 
um, some important things that really, like observations that I think can be takeaways for all of us. If you have opportunity this afternoon, after you stay and do the gifts, you can read Genesis 17, verses 1 through 23, which tell the historic account of Abraham. It's telling where our story picks up, where this text picks up, where Paul is drawing from. God saying to Abraham, I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham, and you are going to be the father of many nations. But the first thing for us to take away here is many nations. God uses multiple nations. That's what the Hebrew word is. It's multiple nations. He doesn't say you're going to be the father of one nation, one bloodline, one ethnicity, multiple nations, which is brought full circle in Revelation 7-9. Every tongue and tribe and nation shall worship the Lord, not just people who look like me, not just people who speak English, not just people of affluency, right? Proverbs says the poor and the rich have this in common. God is the creator of them both, right? Every tongue and tribe and nation. So the promises of Abraham. Abraham is spoken to God by God. He multiple times. It wasn't just this one time. He's 99 years old at this point and God says to him again, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. From here forward, you will be called Abraham instead of Abram. And I think that's really fascinating. It didn't catch me until this time of preparing this with you all is that he was 99 years old when God gives him a new name. That's pretty old, to, even by biblical standards. That's pretty old to be receiving a new name, to start telling your friends, hey, could you, could you call me Abraham? I'm sorry. I'm not going by that anymore. Um, that is a big deal. I'm in this book club, and we're currently reading the book uh, Being Mortal by Atu Gawande. He's not a Christian, but he w talks about how in the United States and other uh, developed nations like ours, we work really hard not to age, right? Really hard not to age. I did it before I came to see you guys. I washed my face with my super-duper anti-aging cream and put on my non-black eye cream under my eyes and did it all, right? And so with shots and Botox and new newness, new skins, plastic surgery, it is a multi-billion dollar industry to not age. And what the writer of this book points out, death comes to us all. And so he would highly suggest that instead of investing, which is interesting because he's not a Christian, thousands of dollars into not aging, to have a quality life by aging well, right? And so I think for Abraham, I would have been a little startled if at 99, God wants me to have a new name. Right? And a name that comes with great responsibility, the father of multiple nations. Um, we don't have time to look there, but in verse 12, if you're taking notes of chapter 17 of Genesis, God also says to Abraham, you should circumcise your male offsprings, and not just the ones that come from you biologically, but the ones that you go and buy from foreigners. They should be circumcised. What is fascinating to me is we are them. 
unless your heritage is Jewish in line, we are the sons and daughters that have been bought by God and bought at a price. And so Paul here is making that plea to the first readers, the first century readers of the letter of Romans. Your circumcision and your non-circumcision does not bring you any closer to the promise, but it is by faith that we inherited what was originally promised to Abraham. It is by faith. It was not Abraham's circumcision that brought him the promise. It is not Abraham's obedience to the law that brought him the promise or the heirs, but by faith. He was 99. Sarah was 89. Again, even by biblical standards, she is long past producing eggs. Right, long past. They're expired. Um, recently, my sister-in-law, who's in her late 20s, asked me if I was ever interested in having kids. And I was like, I'm tough. <laughs> Things are expiring as we're having this conversation, friend. That is not, that is not in the cards for me. Um, and so this is a miracle. Her womb is barren, and the Greek there is dead. It's dead. Um, I like plants. I don't know who else became a plant lover during COVID. I was not a plant lover before COVID, but I've become one. And so I have these big, beautiful plants in my house and an aloe vera and a couple other things. But I recently tried my hand at um, seedlings and herbs. So I was going to grow my own basil. <laughs> and they are just more delicate. These big plants, you can water them once a week. Maybe if you forget a week, you're also still good. But these herbs, these seedlings, I would come home from work and they would be completely wilted over the pot. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, buddy. Um, dead, that's the picture. That's the womb that Sarah has. And that's the womb that God opens and uses to bring the genealogy that will bring Christ, right? And again, God loves his reminders. If we think about Christ, the forerunner of Christ is John the Baptist. John the Baptist also came through a barren womb, right, Elizabeth? And so we think about these things as we think about the promises. Abraham's promise to be an heir is not just to him, but to all who believe. Those who believe in Christ are heirs of this promise. Um, <clears throat> we need, we share in the faith of Abraham. If we share in the faith of Abraham, we share in his promise. The God that Abraham believes in calls into existence what did not exist, right? The God that Abraham believes in gives life to the dead. The hope against hope is the God that Abraham believes in. He did not waver even though the circumstances in front of him would say no. He trusted God's yes. God continues to work. It also says, which I thought was a good note in verse 20, that Abraham does not waver in his faith, and also he grows in his faith. The faith that Abraham has when he says yes, before Sarah is pregnant, is different 
than the faith he has when he holds the child in his arm. And that faith is different than the one where the ram comes to save Isaac, right? Our faith is needed for the fulfillment of the promise. To receive the promise, our faith in Jesus Christ is needed and it's expected to grow. As you see God in your life, in your circumstances, which might seem dead, bringing into existence things that did not exist, your faith will grow and should continue to grow. Abe glorified, sorry, that was in my notes. I wrote Abe. Abraham glorified God and increased his faith. His faith was increased because he's praising the Lord. I, and with Route 1, it takes um, funding to bring in quality staff who lead these volunteers who go into the strip club. It takes funding. It sounds super boring, but we too have to have electricity to turn our lights on in order to do the work that we're doing. Gas in our tanks to go to the clubs. And that's not as sexy as, you know, thinking that your money goes directly to the women who have been exploited, but that's the truth of how right? Organizations work. Abraham and Sarah, when they started their journey, they needed some funding. Abraham consequently was just independently wealthy, but to travel through the desert to feed their camels, to feed their kids, to continue the journey. Um, and I just mention that because sometimes when you've been doing this for 13 years, it can feel heavy and thick and I can feel very alone right, and seeing before me the needs of Route One. But I still am called to praise the Lord and to glorify him for what he has done in my life and in the work of the ministry. And in earnestness, through praising the Lord, our faith is increased. Um, counted to him. Abraham's faith was counted to him because he believed, because he hoped, because he weighed the words of God with more value than the circumstances in front of him. Counted to him. As a follower of Christ, I am counted to him. As followers of Christ, you are counted to him. And so this morning I ask as we Follow the promise that is our promise, not just the promise of Abraham. Where in your life is God calling you into more faith? Where in your life are you holding on to a circumstance, maybe even a really good one, more than trusting the weighted words of God, our creator? Where are you willing to say this is something that is dead in my life. Maybe it's a prodigal son or daughter. Maybe it's a current career. Maybe it's a relationship that you know you need to bring to an end. Maybe it is a barren womb. God calls into existence the things that do not exist. Route one did not exist 13 years ago. I had no idea that that was coming. And here today we're meeting with women and connecting them to the promise. What is it that's in your hand? 
that you believe or could believe God to bring into existence what doesn't exist. I'll close with this little story of um, a woman named Tanika. Tanika is, I would guess, young, so they're trafficked as early as 12, so they're very young. I think she's only late 20s, maybe early 30s. She has four kids. We met her in the strip club. We met her in the Springfield strip club. Um, and she'll tell you that at first, when she first saw us, she thought, who are these people? Um, but we just continue to show up. So the teams go every week into the strip clubs. We go three weeks in a row, and then we take a week off as Sabbath. And we go with the little gifts. That's our entrance point that say, you are treasured. So we just started handing out the gifts to Tanika. And she took them. She was grateful. She's a nice person. But, you know, she did think in her head, who are these people? Tanika's story before coming to the strip clubs is that she had lived in 22 foster care homes from age 5 to 18. That at 5, she was in a foster care home with a woman that made her drink her own urine. And this woman took her to church every Sunday. So you see why they might be conflicted about who God is, right? Because that's not the only story. But Tanika would also say that at that church, she encountered God. So, I mean, he's definitely at work, existing where things don't exist. And so Tanika, trying to get out of the foster care system, ended up working in the strip clubs and then being abused in the strip clubs and asked to do things that she was very uncomfortable with doing, but did them for money, did them for shelter, right? And then began to pray to God. She's like, I think I want to die, but before I die, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask God. I'm going to take a chance and see what he'll do for me. And these are according to her story, her words. And then a few weeks after that, she met the Route 1 ministry team who walked beside her, who continued to show up, who came with those little gifts. And Tanika got pregnant at the same time, and we walked beside her in that journey and that was her exit point from the strip clubs. And now she's been out clean and sober for three years. She actually works for an organization in Springfield where she meets with juvenile detention kids from 12 to 14 to share what God's done in her life and how she's left the sex industry. And the volunteer who helped lead Tanika out of the club, still walks beside her, still calls her, texts her, hangs out with her. So that is God calling into existence a new life for not just Tanika, but for her kids as well. What didn't exist, counted as righteousness. God, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you that you are smarter than I am, and you hold me, and you call to me. I thank you that you are in the room right now with parents who are struggling with their kids. You are in the room right now with those of us who have been laid off or fired or underemployed. You are in the room right now with us who have been suffering from illness, who can't have kids, and we're confused at why, because we would be such loving parents. Your promises are new. Your promises did not end with Abraham. They started with him. And you have counted it, our faith to us as righteousness. Help us, Jesus.
to believe the weight of your words far more than our circumstances. Hallelujah and amen.